In every community, there are children and families in crisis. What if each child touched by the child welfare system experienced the love of Christ through a church in their own community? Care Portal uses an innovative online platform to bridge the gap between children in need and churches who want to help. This technology allows child welfare workers to share needs so that willing churches can respond in real time. We th often think we have to go somewhere around the world to really meet needs, but what we've realized is there are needs all around us. So you can drive five miles away from your house and there are needs there. My whole apartment was like empty and I was wanting to have like a home for my daughter to come home to and I just wasn't able to make that happen, like struggling to pay rent and picked up a second job and just trying to do everything I can to get my daughter back. A girl named Kayla. Uh, needed a crib and we said this is it let's go meet it so we brought the crib to Kayla and over just the course of two to three months we kept bringing furniture over as we found it and bought it and formed a relationship and uh, it's been such a blessing she reminds me of my own daughter um, she's got such a sweet spirit and you know you have these perceptions of what this is going to be like but when you meet somebody face to face and you see they're trying I mean that's just a blessing that was like the greatest thing to have people who like are there supporting me like you don't feel so alone. I mean that's what Jesus is about. It's how do we get out and meet the needs of others with compassion and with mercy and with love. Sometimes it's physical but sometimes it's just being with people. There's always fear, right? We fear looking foolish, we fear being misunderstood, we fear being taken advantage of. But the reality is we find our life by giving it away. And the care portal is an avenue to give your life away in small ways and in big ways. And, and that's, that brings joy. That really brings a lot of joy to who we are. I think you can see from that video the opportunity that we have to live and love like Jesus and supporting families right here in our community that are either in or on the edge of a really crisis in their family. I think these are needs that any one of us here at Crossroads could respond to. And I love that the Care Portal makes these needs very accessible and also gives all of us an opportunity to respond with tangible ways that we could serve those in our community. So I'd encourage you uh, to step out in the atrium today, get some more information about Care Portal, or you can go to our website, cccgo.com forward slash info. We wanted to let you know that there are two informational meetings coming up. One of those is on Thursday, June the 3rd at 6 p.m. The second one is on Sunday, June 6th at 10.30 a.m. Those informational meetings would help answer any questions you have, how you could get engaged with Care Portal. You do not need to attend the informational meetings to participate. They're just there to help you get uh, your questions answered. 
Last week, we kicked off a brand new series that we call Pray Like Jesus, where we're learning how to pray like Jesus. I mean, try to be real creative, right? And we just kind of lay it out, out there. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to learn how to live in love like Jesus, and that requires us to learn how to pray like Jesus, right? And last week, we focused our whole uh, time together on the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is a pattern that Jesus gave us to teach us how to pray. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer. It's really broken up into four sections. There's adoration, there's submission, there's petition, and there is deliverance. And those four sections actually make up the Lord's Prayer, but each of them are a type of prayer that teaches us to pray like Jesus. And so over the next four weeks, we're just going to dissect one of those four sections, and today we're starting with adoration. Hopefully you've already felt the encouragement uh, to adore God for who he is and what he's done. You've, uh, you've probably heard the phrase, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I think because all of us are created in the image of God, we are hardwired to recognize beauty when we see it. Now, the truth is that we all see beauty in different things. For some of us, we see beauty in creation. It's like the first snowfall, or it's like the, the blossoms of spring. Maybe it's the fall leaves that are bursting in color. Maybe it's fog rising off of a lake. All those might be where you see beauty. Some of us see beauty in art. It's like a melodic, melodic line of a song or a tight harmony. Maybe it's uh, seeing somebody take a chunk of wood or a block of clay and fashion it into something that's just amazing. Maybe it's a well-crafted word, or maybe it's a dramatization or motion picture that people have created from their imagination and it brings things to life. For others, beauty is in people or relationships, the cooing of a baby, the relationship or the time we can spend with family or friends. Maybe it's the encouraging word from a friend or trusted counsel from a mentor. Beauty can be found in a wonderfully prepared meal, in a warmly decorated home, a well-manicured lawn, healthy competition in a sport. It can be found in leisurely strolls, a, a timely well-crafted word, even in animals or inanimate objects. We all recognize beauty when we see it. And so Jesus taught us to pray by first beginning our prayers with adoration. And his intent was to help us get a full picture of who God is and to find beauty in God. I think it's a great place to begin our prayers because it lifts our eyes off of ourselves and our situation and realigns our hearts and mind and soul with our creator, with our father with the one who is worthy of all of our praise and adoration. We reflect on God's character, his holiness, his goodness, his power, his love, his mercy, his dominion. We begin our prayers by first acknowledging God and focusing our hearts and attention on him. We consider who he is and why he's important, why he is separated from all other things. What draws us to him? What draws us to love him? just who he is. I think adoration is a yearning of the heart to worship, honor, magnify, and bless God. We ask for nothing except to cherish him. We seek nothing but his exaltation. So many times in our prayers, we just jump right into petition and we begin listing off request after request after request to God without even recognizing who it is we're talking with or to. And so Jesus taught us to pray by first recognizing God as our Father in heaven, who is both intimate yet transcendent. 
He's worthy of our admiration as well as our devotion. Scripture is filled with instructions and examples of people adoring God. Moses in Exodus 15, 2 said, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. He's my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I'll exalt him. In the New Testament, the Hebrew writer says these words in Hebrews 13, 15. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. David was known as a man of adoration, and he said these words in Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Adoration is a combination of praising God for who he is and thanking God for what he has done. Richard Foster in his book on prayer says this, both praise and thanksgiving weave themselves in and out of one another when we pray. They become part of an organic whole. Old Halsby says this in his book, Prayer. He says, when I give thanks, my thoughts still circle around myself to some extent. But in praise, my soul ascends to self-forgetting adoration, seeing and praising only the majesty and power of God, his grace and redemption. God's character is reflected in his activity. They are inseparable. Because of who he is, he does what he does. And we worship him for who he is and we thank him for all he's done. That's how we adore God. And that's how we should begin our prayers. David in the Old Testament was a man of prayer. We think of him as a songwriter or a psalmist, but every song and every psalm that he composed was in worship of God for who he is and what he's done. The book of Psalms is actually a book of prayers. It's been used for centuries by those who love God to help them worship and to help them pray. I believe that the Psalms are recorded to show us how to pray, to show us how to worship God, to give us language to use in response to who God is and what he has done in our life. And while there are many Psalms, there's 150, today I wanna walk through one Psalm, Psalm 103. We've referenced it several times already. I think from that, we can follow David's example and his words, learning how to pray prayers of adoration. If you haven't already, open up a Bible, turn to Psalm 103, or you can open up the Bible app and find it there as well. The Psalms were created carefully and intentionally. They were actually works of art. And Psalm 103 has 22 verses in the original Hebrew language. That's one verse for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I don't know if David was just being cutesy, like here's A and here's an adoration thing of God or working through those characteristics of God. I think he was actually probably trying to provide us some structure to our prayers so that we could express our adoration to God. Many see three specific sections in the Psalm 103. And so the first is a personal call to praise. Let's see what David has to say, beginning in verse one of Psalm 103. David says, praise the Lord my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. David begins Psalm 103 by speaking to himself. 
when I was in college, my college algebra professor, while he was teaching us to work equations, would often say while he was writing on the whiteboard, so I say to myself, self, and it was humorous the first time, and then it got old after a whole semester, right? But there's nothing wrong with speaking to ourself. It reminds ourselves of important truths. And I think that's what David is doing as he opens this psalm. David knew that worship is something deeply inward of the soul. The outward expression of praise and thanksgiving begins on the inside of a person. It's something real and deeply personal. It's wholehearted, it's sincere, and it's proper since God is sovereign and holy. Worship is personal, it's purposeful, it's thoughtful, as well as it's emotional. It involves your heart, soul, and mind. It's not voluntary or, or automatic. It requires full engagement of everything we are. And so in these first few verses of Psalm 103, David recounts all the personal ways that God has worked in his life. He challenged himself to never forget all the benefits from God, the good things that God has done. And he makes a list of them. The first thing he says is, God forgives all my sins. This is the first and maybe the most important thing that David never wants to forget, nor should we. I don't know everything about David's life, but we know two specific sins that David committed, adultery and murder. I'm sure there were plenty more, but David says that God forgives all my sins. It's like last week when Jesus taught us to pray to forgive us our debts. It's plural, it's all inclusive. Do you know what the original language definition for all is? All, it's not real confusing, okay? That means every sin you've ever committed, every sin that you committed since you woke up this morning, every sin that you will commit, God forgives. David says next that God heals all his diseases. I'm not sure exactly how David died. It could have been just of old age, but when his time came, he died. We also know that the son that was born to Bathsheba because of David's adultery with her actually was ill from birth and David begged God to heal that child, but he didn't, that child died. I don't know why God chooses to heal some diseases and others he doesn't, but God is still good regardless. And David says that God heals all my diseases. About 10 or 14 days ago, I lost a good friend. Her name was Kathy. She worshiped here consistently. She served faithfully here at Crossroads. She wasn't just a member of Crossroads. She was actually one of my neighbors. And we developed a sweet friendship over the past two years. I'll be honest, there's probably not a person in my adult life that I've prayed for more consistently and more fervently for God to heal than Kathy Hauser. And I performed her funeral last Saturday, last Friday. It broke my heart to see the cancer that Kathy was diagnosed with just two years ago, just ravish her body and cause her death. But what I also saw in Kathy's eyes every time I talked with her was a hope, was a peace, was a confidence that death couldn't take away from her. It's a powerful example of what David is saying. Not only does God heal all my diseases, but he rescues me from the pit. And what David is speaking there specifically of is death. That's exactly why David's praising God. He knows that God is the author of life and he's also the victor over death. And David has confidence while still alive that even when death comes, God is worthy of praise. David says, God crowns me with love and compassion. Over 35 times in the Psalm, David writes a specific line. I praise you, God, that your enduring love lasts 
forever. David says, God satisfies my desires with good things. Just as Jesus taught us last week to, to pray for God to provide our daily needs, David praises God saying that God does provide him with everything and things that satisfy his soul. We don't need to look for anything else or to anyone else to have our soul satisfied other than to God. David says, God renews my strength like the eagle. The eagle is referred to many a times in scripture, and we know the eagle as the symbol of our country. Since 1782, the eagle has represented the United States of America. And that caught my curiosity, why? Why did they choose the eagle? Well, history tells us that the eagle is known as, as an animal that has long life. It's also a, an animal that represents strength. It's majestic. I also found out that Benjamin Franklin wanted the turkey to be our country's bird. And good thing he was outvoted, right? Or we may have had a flag with a turkey on the front of it. That might represent some of us, but they wanted the eagle to represent all of us, right? David says that God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. If you take the time to read through all 150 Psalms, You'll see that David sometimes is irrational. It seems like he's just talking out of both sides of his mouth. It seems like there's one moment he's praising God and the other moments he's asking God, where are you? He always seems to circle back, regardless what's going on in his life, to a trust, to a devotion, to a confidence in who God is and what God is doing in his life. The history of Israel, David knew well. It was a history of slavery and bondage. Why God let them be slaves in Egypt for 400 years, I don't know. David asked, or excuse me, Joseph asked that question well before those 400 years ever started. Why God, why? And yet God showed himself to be faithful. He was attentive to their cry. He brought about deliverance. He still can and he still does. This is a very powerful list that David makes that he doesn't wanna forget all the benefits of who God is and what God has done in his life. Look at the attributes. God is gracious, God's healer, he's redeemer, he's loving, he's compassionate, he's our provider, he's sufficient, he's enough. God is strong, he's our restorer, he's our strength, he's righteous, he's just, he's our defender. David adores God for who he is and what he has done for him personally. And then he issues a second call to praise. It's a communal call to praise. He addresses the people of Israel. He declares God's consistent character and pattern of behavior. And the illustration that he uses several attributes and actions of God, he uses some very vivid language. Let's keep on reading now in Psalm 103, picking up in verse 7. He, meaning God, made his ways known to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. 
with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. I hope that you're keeping a list of all the ways that David is describing God's character and behavior. David said that God revealed himself and his ways to the people of Israel. He's compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger, he's abounding in love. One scholar observed that we should praise God not just for what he does, but also for what he doesn't do. Did you catch what God doesn't do in David's words? He doesn't always accuse, nor does he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Why not? Why doesn't God deal with us according to our sins? Well, actually, he already has. He dealt with our sin by sending Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's how God deals with our sin. I love the powerful picture that David paints of God's character and activity. He writes to describe the, the greatness of God and the vastness of his love by saying, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. It's like looking out the window of an airplane at 13,000 feet. Can you picture those little barns, those little cars? The, I mean, how small things look. Even bigger than that is God's love for us. David uses another powerful picture when he describes God's forgiveness, God's grace. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. You know, by instinct, we often think of God's less God's grace as much less than it really is. And David wants us to have a big picture of God's character and his activity and to adore him for it. He depicts God as a loving, compassionate father. If immeasurable distances are one way to describe God, then intimate relationships of family is another. And David speaks of God as being a gracious father. He's understanding. He has wisdom. He's aware of his children's frailty and weakness and, and the fact that we're just mortal creatures. And then David contrasts God to that by saying he is everlasting, he is immortal, he is never ending. That God is a picture of the perfect love of a father. But David does make a disclaimer, I hope you notice. He says that this is true. People are fully aware of God the most when they fear him when they keep his covenant, when they remember to obey his precepts. David is defining that the children of God are those who have embraced his love and been adopted into his family through the reconciliation God provided through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, and that they're living lives to please him because of that. Relationship makes all the difference. Growing up, one of my just favorite teachers of all time was a guy named C.J. Hunter. I met C.J. Hunter as a second grader. He taught me how to play violin and began a relationship that I had all the way until the day I graduated, which keeps adding up the number of years since I walked across that stage. I watched Castle graduation last night thinking, wow, it has been too many years since I walked across that stage, right? But from second grade on, C.J. and I had this sweet friendship. He started teaching me piano lessons in fifth grade. 
In middle school, I would go home with CJ to his family farm and he would hire me to do some odd jobs. I would clean out fence rolls. I, I built a swing set for his children. And then in high school, especially after I got my license, CJ would just send me on errands. It was wonderful during English class when it said, Phil Heller, please come to the office. And CJ would have a note there. I need you to get my truck, go down to the elementary school, tune some violins, and then meet me for lunch at so-and-so restaurant. Those were some sweet days of high school, let me just say. But CJ and I developed this friendship. I saw him as a mentor. I saw him as, as somebody I wanted to be like when I grew up. But oddly enough, ironically, the other students that I went to school with, especially those who had CJ just for general music, a class everybody had to have in middle school and most people hated, they saw CJ through a different set of eyes. In fact, they just saw him as a, as a teacher figure, an authority figure, and he didn't necessarily make general music really fun for those kids who, who didn't enjoy music. And so I would hear them talk about CJ behind his back and they would say mean, ugly, awful things about him. And I just felt this sense of defensiveness because to, to me, CJ was somebody that I trusted, who believed in me and that I cared for a lot. Relationship makes all the difference, doesn't it? Maybe you find yourself struggling to come up with some words for God. I would challenge you by saying, it might have a relationship to the distance you might feel from God. And I would encourage you today, if you do nothing else, to start to discover who God's character truly is. And I think as you get to know him in relationship, adoration will just start to just bubble up from the inside out. You know, David, uh, he, he, he points us to who God is. He makes these three calls to worship. And the final one is a universal call to praise. Let's see what he says in the rest of this psalm. Verse 19, David writes, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. While our relationship with God certainly determines the level of adoration we give God, it does not define the adoration that God deserves. David declares God's sovereignty over all creation, and then he calls all of creation to worship him. His angels, his heavenly host, all his works, everything, everyone, everywhere. And it echoes what the New Testament writes, like Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that God gave Jesus a name that was above all name, that at that name, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, all to the glory of God. When, when we adore Jesus, we are actually giving glory and adoration to God. Revelation gives us a picture of that. Revelation 4:11. John writes, God, you are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says this, David's song is no solo, for all creation is singing or will sing with him. But his voice, like every other, has its own part to add, its own benefits to celebrate, and its own access to the attentive ear of God. So how can you and I add our voice to the chorus of all creation, adoring God for who he is and what he's done? We're learning to pray like Jesus because prayer takes learning. 
it requires intentionality. It requires discipline. So let me offer you some action steps that you and I can take to grow in our adoration. I'll share a few personal uh, experiences of my own life to put these into practice. The first is this, pause. Several years ago at the Global Leadership Summit, I was introduced to a man named Gary Haugen. He's the director of the International Justice Mission. The International Justice Mission is an organization that goes into some of the darkest, dangerous places in our entire world to rescue people from slavery. Slavery is still happening today in our world. Sex slavery, there's work slavery, all wreaking havoc across our world. And IJM goes into these places to prosecute those who are violating others and to set people free. And when asked Gary about his work, one of the things he commented is that every day, Monday through Friday, IJM, wherever they're at across the world, takes the first 30 minutes of their work day to pray. And someone asked him, like, do you really have the time to do that? I mean, you're doing some pretty dangerous, crazy things. Like, do you really have 30 minutes to pray? And Gary Haugen quoted Mother Teresa, who said that she couldn't imagine doing her work for 30 minutes without praying first. I'm kind of uh, embarrassed by that, to think that Haugen is doing 30, day, 30 minutes a day of prayer. And, and we as a staff, we, we give 30 minutes a week. I, I'd love to see that increase, right? You and I live in a busy world, and we've made ourselves really, really busy. And we often forget the things that are most important. And I think that's why Jesus not only taught us to pray, but showed us how to pray. In fact, when he taught on prayer, he didn't say, if you pray. He said, when you pray. And then he said, find a place, find a time. He often withdrew to a solitary place on very specific moments of his day to pray. And so I would encourage you to pause. Take the time to pray. I'm going to encourage you to make the time to pray. If you were to look at my phone and look at my calendar every day at 5.30 to 6 a.m., it shows time with God. I put it on my calendar every day of every year of every breath that I have. Why? Because it's the most important time and the most important relationship or appointment I'll have any single day. I do that to discipline my heart because if not, I'll get up, I'll grab my phone and head into my day without taking time to pray. Maybe you're like me. And so I just encourage you to start by pausing. Take the time every day to pray. Carve it out of your schedule. Get up earlier or stay up late, whatever you need to do to make time to pray with God. I also find it fun to pray throughout my day. Very specific prayers, like when I'm driving somewhere or when I return, when I'm heading into a meeting, when I'm having a conversation. Sometimes I'm praying as I'm trying to listen because I need God's wisdom. Also find some fun ways to remember to praise God. Like every time I see a digital clock that has the same numbers on either side of the, of the colon, I stop and praise God for who he is in some way. Like 11-11. Usually I see that in the a.m. more than the p.m. There's, you know, 555. Anytime all the numbers on the clock are the same, I just use that as a prompt to praise God for who he is. Find some ways to pray so that you don't forget who God is. And you also don't forget what he's doing in your life. We're trying to prompt you in that by offering you a chance to receive a prayer prompt every day at noon. It's a prayer of unity. Last week, we encouraged you to text the word unity to our church number so that you could get these prayer prompts every day at noon. If you haven't done that yet, I'd encourage you to do that right now. The second action I think we can take is to notice. 
We need to be intentional to notice God's character and his activity. God is at work revealing his character to you. He is active in your life. But most of the time, we're just way too busy to even notice. And so I wanna challenge us to follow David's words and his instructions, Psalm 46, eight and 10. He says, come and see what the Lord has done. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Pastor and author Chip Ingram says this, when we adore God, it requires that we look up and acknowledge him for who he is, the creator of 2,000 billion stars in the Milky Way, but also our perfect and loving father. Chip says, I found that if our view of God is one of that he is big and powerful, then our problems will seem small. Conversely, if our view of God is small, our problems will be big. It's maybe that we're too zoomed in on some situation in our life that makes us feel just that it's insurmountable. I think if you pull back from that molehill that you've made into a mountain, you'll be able to see God's power at work in your life. Many people have found journaling as a very helpful tool to help them know God's character and see his work. I'd encourage you to try journaling. In fact, if you want a journal, we have a bunch of these Live and Love Like Jesus journals. You can pick one up at the Connection Center as you leave here today. I'd encourage you to open up the front page if you've never journaled before and just start with one column, adoration. Start making a list of the characteristics of God that would lift your eyes from whatever situation or circumstance you might find yourself and put your attention, your heart, your devotion to the one who is sovereign overall. You might make a second column and that would just be thanksgiving. Giving God thanks for the things he is doing or has done in your life. And that leads me to the third action step and that's be grateful. Gratitude is a learned habit. Think about how much energy we parents spend on teaching gratitude to our children. I find myself saying all the time, say thank you, say thank you, say thank you. If you're guilty, you can raise your hand if you want. Say thank you is something we're trying to teach our kids, not just to have good manners, but to have gratefulness, to be, to be grateful, to have gratitude. In Luke 17, a, a moment with Jesus is recorded where 10 lepers come to Jesus and they beg him to heal them. And Jesus gives them some instruction. He just says, go show yourself to the priest. That was what was required for somebody, according to the Old Testament law, who was unclean, to be given a clean status. And so all 10 hurried off to present themselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. I don't know how that happened exactly. I just know that God caused it. Jesus healed them. And when they recognized that they were healed, nine of them continued on the journey and one went back, fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him. Jesus asked this one who came back a question. Were not all 10 cleansed? All 10 were cleansed, but there was only one that was grateful. I'd encourage all of us, because of who God is, because of all that he's done in our life, to not be like those nine, but to be like that one. Learning how to pray like Jesus starts with adoring our heavenly father, praising him for who he is and thanking him for all he's done. And when we practice gratitude, we'll find our prayers filled a lot more with thank you than with please. Making a list of all that God has done in your life gives you the opportunity to see his character in action, 
and to give you a reason to adore him and thank him. So to close today, I'm just gonna give us a time to pray, a prayer of adoration. Just a few moments, I'm just gonna give you some space to tell God what you love about him. Don't start with what he's done for you. Start with just thanking him for who he is, regardless of anything he's ever done. We'll take some time to thank him as well. And also in this prayer, I'm going to continue something we started last week, praying for another congregation that is here serving God in our community. And today I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for the Epworth United Methodist Church that actually sits right at the edge of our property at the corner of Lincoln and Epworth Road. They are more than just our neighbors. We are part of the family of God with them. Danny Barr is the pastor of Epworth. He has not just become a colleague, he is a friend. I usually sit on the front row about 7 a.m. every Sunday morning and text back and forth with Danny, praying for him, him praying for me. His family has become somebody that is important to me. And I would just encourage you to cover their congregation and his leadership in prayer with me today. Let's pray together. Just take a few moments to adore God for who he is. Tell him what you admire and appreciate about his character. Now take just a few moments to thank him for something that he has done in your life. God, I praise you for being holy. Praise you for being powerful. Praise you for being sovereign. Praise you for being trustworthy. Praise you for being sufficient. God, I thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word and through the Holy Spirit and through the life of Jesus. I thank you for a sweet wife and wonderful kids. And I thank you for health. I thank you for this great congregation to be part of. God, I thank you for warmer days and gentle breeze in the evening and shade. God, I thank you for my friend Danny Barr. I thank you for his faithfulness to you, to his wife Angie, and to their kids. And I thank you for his leadership, not just at Epworth, but with Evansville Christian School and, and what God's doing on this corner where he's placed all of us for, for his purposes. God, I thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who worship at Epworth United Methodist Church. God, I pray that you would protect their congregation you would help them be unified with you and with each other. I pray that, God, you would bless the ministries that they are offering to serve Newburgh in this community. God, I thank you for the friendship and the partnership that exists between our congregations. And, God, I pray that that would deepen. God, I pray that you would protect each person who worships there. And pray that, God, you would do something incredible in your church right here in this city, all for your glory and all for your praise. We pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.